So, and we're going to focus specifically on mind-altering drugs um, and uh, the ones that have, for the last close to a century, been illegal in this country. And um, we're not going to talk about medicinal use of drugs. There is, it's a whole separate discussion um, medicinal drugs, and I know we have some pharmacists here in the crowd. Um, that's a fascinating discussion of its own. Um, generally, just very quickly, um, anything that is um, going to help you medicinally, you're allowed to use, so long as it's not going to cause greater harm than good, and how you judge that is a subject of its own. Today we're going to talk about recreational drug use. So, mind-altering drugs such as opiums, cannabises, They've been around for a very, very long time. In many cultures, they were used as medicine. Many cultures, they were used for recreational purposes. Many tribal societies used them in rituals. Uh, historically, uh, East Asian and Middle Eastern countries where mind-altering drugs were widely available um, had rules banning them. Um, in Europe, they generally didn't exist. Um, till the late 18th century, uh, mind-altering drugs were not widely available, so Europeans did not really have laws about drugs. Um, drug use began to um, appear um, in late 18th century in Europe, and um, it led to a lot of civil problems and crimes, and many countries moved to ban them. Um, we, um, while China, for example, had long banned the use of recreational drugs, the British um, fought a number of opium wars to try to force the Chinese to allow their people to buy their opium that they were selling them. Um, so, but, so for many years, um, drug use has been illegal in Western countries since it's brought, been brought into the Western countries a little over 200 years ago. Um, but in recent years, there's been a movement um, to... Now, drug use, even though it's been illegal, has always been used. Um, Mind-altering drugs has always been used by a minority of the population, though it was illegal. Um, the amount... Uh, its use, the amount of people using it has varied over the years. And um, although the governments have made great efforts to try to clamp down on it, in very recent years, the last decade or two, there's been a movement of more, for more acceptance of drug use, particularly what's called light drugs, such as marijuana and other cannabinoids. Um, and so what we're going to talk about today is using those recreational drugs and the Jewish perspective of those using those recreational drugs. So we start off with one particular... Um, rule in the Torah. Now, mind-altering drugs are not mentioned anywhere in the Torah. They are mentioned in only one place in the Talmud, and that is on, and over there they refer, it's referring to medical use, not to recreational use. So we actually don't have any ancient sources in Judaism about... Um, uh, we don't have any ancient source in Judaism that directly referred to mind-altering drugs. So we cannot say what traditional Judaism ever said specifically with regard to mind-altering drugs. What we can do, it presumably was not widely used by Jews if Jews didn't talk about it. Uh, we have quite a lot of description found in both biblical sources as well as in Midrashic and Talmudic sources, different Jewish early sources. Um, and we don't have any early sources discussing any form of recreational drug use does that mean it wasn't used? Likely. Um, and it wasn't relevant, therefore. That's why it wasn't discussed very likely. We do know that there was, rec there was drug use in the Middle East throughout that period. Why Jews may or may not have used it, we do not know. Are you including alcohol? No. No. I'm going to touch on alcohol okay, a little bit as we go through, but we're not going to talk about okay. alcohol. No. We're not going to. Now, alcohol had, was illegal in this country for a very... Thank you for bringing up alcohol. Alcohol was illegal in this country for a short period um, during the Prohibition days. Um, it was made legal. Alcohol, of course, is a very important place in Judaism. Um, while the scripture has a lot of negative things to say about alcohol, starting with Noah, who um, drank wine and got drunk, to Lot, who gets into a lot of trouble when he's drunk. And um, it does describe alcohol use extensively in scripture. And um, it has a lot of negative things to say about it. But alcohol use was included 
um, later, not in biblical times, but later in ritual um, by the men of the Great Assembly, which is in Persian days, about 2,300 years ago, and we use alcohol um, wine that is at the Seder, um, when we make Kiddush and Havdalah, and really by every important Jewish occasion, such as a wedding, or a bris, or a Kidion Haben, redeeming of the firstborn son, any important Jewish ceremony, we do use alcohol, or particularly wine. So there is definitely alcohol use, although scripture does have a lot of negative things to say about alcohol. So, so we don't have any direct, so other recreational drugs, we don't have any direct reference or to them in traditional Jewish sources. So later Jewish sources only referenced them based on their impacts. We don't know anything directly about them, but we can talk a little bit about their impacts and what that would mean from a Jewish perspective. So one thing that is common to almost all drugs and the reason why, or one of the reasons why they were made illegal to start with, is that they, or they were regulated for um, those that were just regulated, um, is that they all that they all cause some form of harm, physical harm in one way or another, and so this leads to the question of whether a person has the right to harm themselves. So now Jewish law makes it very clear that a person cannot do anything that puts themselves at risk. You cannot put do anything that is dangerous. We mentioned in this week's Torah reading is actually a rule that you have to fence off any roof or any balcony has to be fenced off. A person can never put themselves in harm's way. It's forbidden to do anything dangerous, and we have very strict laws of danger. Anything that has even small probabilities um, of danger, and we have different types of rules. We've had some class we've discussed it, how we decide, can you get into a car? Can you walk down the street? Yes, you can. Can you get into a plane? Yes, you can. How we define what is dangerous and what's not. We have a complicated set of rules, but generally we avoid things that are dangerous, but not only things that are dangerous and that they could kill us, even things that will hurt ourselves are forbidden. We believe that a person has no control over their body. Your body, you have no right over your own body. You do not have the right to self-harm. We believe that every human body belongs to God and is, a, is on loan to us by God. And so we don't have the right to harm ourselves in whatever way it may be. We're not allowed to do anything that will physically harm ourselves, whether it's eating unhealthy or um, doing unhealthy, uh, unhealthy activities that are going to cause ourselves harm. We are forbidden from harming ourselves in any way. Now, how you define that is a discussion for itself, perhaps worthy of a class causing self-harm. Um, anything that anyone suspects might be harmful in some way, if you go to the official list of the Cancer Society's carcinogens, and just about everything that you have in your life is a carcinogen of some sort or another. So where do you draw the line? So we do have set rules about that, and we have that is very well defined in Judaism, in Jewish laws. Um, but generally, a person is not allowed to harm themselves in any way. Self-harm, your body does not belong to you. You have no right to harm yourself. So, therefore, any drug that is going to cause you harm, um, whether it's take, taken in small amounts or large amounts, if it's a drug that causes you harm in large amounts, um, any mind-altering drug, over, long, over the long time in large amounts will definitely cause harm. Um, and anything that will cause you harm is forbidden to um, use. Now, for in that, in, to that extent, use of large amounts of alcohol or very regular use of alcohol is definitely going to cause you, cause you harm and therefore should not be used. Small amounts of alcohol will not cause you harm and therefore would not be a problem. Caffeine is another addictive that people always bring up. Unless you use very large amounts of caffeine, there's no evidence that it's going to cause you harm. Marijuana, there's been some conflicting evidence. Very small amounts irregularly will probably not cause any harm. Um, larger amounts and more regularly almost certainly will cause you harm. Definitely what's called harder drugs um, definitely cause um, long-term harm. So if you're going to cause harm to your body in any way, Definitely it is forbidden. 
is there something written where that, like on Simplator and others, where when you drink and you know it, it frees you to be happier, to be joyful, and not necessarily small amounts, but larger amounts on that particular holiday like that? Is there something? It's always forbidden to drink large amounts. We'll soon see some other reasons why. But number one, if you drink to a point that it causes you harm, self-harm in any way, that's forbidden. You're not allowed to harm yourself. Drinking a lot of alcohol destroys your liver um, and um, causes all sorts of other um, health problems. And so you cannot regularly drink alcohol. You cannot drink alcohol in large amounts. It's not safe. It's not healthy. It's not safe um, to drive. Either. Sorry? It's not safe to drive. To drive at all. No, after you drink. To drive after you That's very dangerous. Yeah, don't do that either. Um, so, uh, and yes, we definitely have to keep ourselves safe. Small amounts of alcohol, um, there is no evidence that small amounts irregularly of alcohol um, will cause you harm. Um, in the same way, um, there may be some drugs like marijuana, and I believe the, and I'm not an expert on this, it's outside of my expertise, I believe there's some um, conflicting um, research, but there may well be evidence that small amounts of what's called lighter drugs do not harm you at all, do not cause any long-term harm whatsoever. That may well be true. And if indeed, then that would not fall under this problem. Larger amounts without a doubt, large amounts do, and regular intake definitely does cause harm. Yes, Debbie? Marijuana, uh, cannabis has been cured by people. Right, so med medicinal use is a separate topic, not for today. Absolutely. We're going to get to that. Very good question. You shouldn't harm your soul either. Are you required to treat yourself if you have a disease? Yes. Yes, you are with caveats. It depends on, you have to always balance the what you're going to gain and what it's going to cost you. Um, so generally, yes. The general answer is yes, but it depends. Um, it could be get more complicated because sometimes treating yourself could cause harm in other ways. And a lot of treatments have all sorts of other un, uh, bad effects. So, and sometimes it's a difficult decision. So now, even something that does not cause you long-term harm, and there's another problem, and this problem is both with mind-altering drugs as well as with alcohol that has to be, that's very important. Um, anything that is going to lead you to a state, and um, Jewish law discusses this, particularly with regard to regarding alcohol, but the same presumably would apply to mind-altering drugs, although as I said, Jewish sources generally don't mention mind-altering drugs. Um, anything that is going to remove you from your right mind to the point that you don't have reasonable control over your actions is a problem. Jews are commanded to follow God's 613 commandments. To follow those commandments, you always need self-control. Make sure you don't break any rules. Um, Part of following those 613 commandments is a person can never put themselves in a position where they will be unable to follow those commandments. So the Talmud therefore says you cannot get drunk to a point where you don't have control over your ability to follow commandments. Because if you do, you've removed your ability or you've knowingly stopped yourself from following God's commandments. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, a modern halachic authority from the 20th century, um, in a famous response on the subject, says the same would presumably apply to any mind-altering drug that alters your mind to the point that you lose your ability to fully control yourself. So if you lose that ability, you would not be able to follow God's commandments properly. If you cannot follow God's commandments properly, that is a state you are not allowed to place yourself in. This would apply to anything that is mind-altering in any way, um, whether it's um, just putting yourself in some sort of trance or any situation where you lose control of yourself would be forbidden. Yes? Again, you're accepting out the medical use of drugs. I'm ex I'm, for the entire lesson today, we're accepting medical use of drugs. Now, when a person needs to help themselves for medically, you can put yourself in such a state. Um, again, you always have to weigh the what you're going, the costs and advantages. Um, but yes, you definitely can. So this is what we're talking about when there's no medical value, just for recreational use. Now, another thing that has to be yes. Uh, 
maybe you're going to touch on this later, but uh, I know that in uh, yeshivas, it's very, very common for a lot of drug use to be going on there. I would say among young people, it's very common. Yeah. And any place that has a lot of young people. I mean, is that, I mean, how how is that supposed to be? That tends to come from immaturity and lack of responsibility that young people have. Okay. <laughs> and young people in yeshiva are not that different from young people. They should be. They should be. I think it's less in young in yeshiva than in high schools, but it, it exists. It depends if it has medicinal value. It depends if it has medicinal value. Now. Now, describing that, defining medicinal value could be complicated as well. And again, I don't want to get into the details of medicinal value. If, if the, isn't doing oneself harm very subjective? <clears throat> doing oneself physical harm. Right. So if, if it's not, so it shouldn't be subjective. That you know, I'm just gonna smoke a little bit. Doing oneself physical harm should not be subjective. Um, doing oneself physical harm can generally be, um, sometimes the, the evidence can be conflicting. But generally, you can use evidence-based information to decide whether a certain action is going to do you harm or not going to do you harm. Right? Getting behind the wheel after, you've drunk, you, you, after you drink too much alcohol is definitely dangerous. We know that. So that's not subjective. I mean, generally, doing yourself harm should not be a subjective thing. It's not up to the individual to decide. It's up to people with knowledge in the impacts. Um, people that, and today we have better ways of doing studies and um, gaining information, and we have very valid information as to whether things are dangerous or not, whether things harm you. Now, some things can cause both harm and good, and then you've got to balance what's what's better. Yes. I don't believe tobacco is mind-altering drug. It's definitely a relaxing drug. Um, that's why I haven't included it. Um, I don't think it dramatically changes a person's state of mind like caffeine. Um, it's also legal, um, but tobacco we know today is not healthy. Um, and you have a, there's a problem. The first problem that we mentioned was you cannot harm yourself. So doing anything that's going to cause you harm is forbidden in Jewish law. That would include smoking and vaping, presumably. Yes, yes. Um, so now there's a different problem that also must be taken into account. And that is the Torah commands us to keep us, that we have to keep ourselves holy. Kedoshim you be holy. Now how are you supposed to be holy? What does it mean to be holy? So there's a number of different interpretations, but one of the, one of the main interpretations of this verse from the Ramban Rav Moshe Ben Nachman is that it's a prohibition against addiction. It's a prohibition against getting addictive to, addicted to anything. Um, in other words, becoming overly obsessed with something. It's forbidden to be obsessed with anything that is unholy. And the example, again, as I mentioned earlier, the... Um, Earlier um, Jewish sources do not mention um, mind-altering drugs at all. The example given in Jewish sources generally, and the example given in this week's Torah reading, is addiction by um, drinking too much, uh, well, either drinking, the alcohol addiction, or eating too much. There's another addiction, right? Overeating. So um, that, th those kind of addictions are forbidden because you're becoming obsessed with something. By the same token, any form of addiction, whatever kind of addiction it may be, would be forbidden in the same way because you are becoming obsessed with something unholy. So whatever kind of addiction that could be, and people today get addicted to their um, social media, you could get addicted to gaming. I think the World Health Organization recently added gaming as an official addiction. Um, so you could get addicted to many, many different things. Um, and so addictions are general now. It's hard to, you've got to be always cognizant not to get addicted because there are some things that we do regularly that can 
if overused, be addicted, but we have a prohibition in general of becoming obsessed with anything. So anything that will um, lead to um, uh, addiction or any excessive use of anything unholy, um, anything that's not Torah mitzvah related, um, is a is a problem in Judaism, and that is one of the re- that is the reason given for the mitzvah in this week's reading of the child who steals from his parents to eat and drink, that he has a food and drinking addiction, and the Talmud says he will lead, it's a matter of time until he murders, until he kills someone in order to sustain his addiction. So, and so any obsession is therefore um, a problem. Um, And so therefore anything that can lead to addiction any pro- anything that could lead to addiction would be a problem. Furthermore, from this rebellious son, um, whom is not ju- the problem is not only that he's unholy by being obsessed with something unholy, but also that he's stealing in order to support his addiction. And the Talmud, the one place where the Talmud actually um, mentions drugs is the Talmud says, "Be very careful with medicinal drugs." talking about mind-altering medicinal drugs, because they lead to addiction. And it will end up costing you too much. Right? You become addicted, you end up spending all your money on it. So it's also bad financially. A Jew is warned from wasting money, and so therefore, um, and so therefore it also leads to money waste, and then can lead to, as we see with the rebellious son, Using, um, turning to illegal activities, societal harm in order to support that addiction. So for all the reasons above, both to stop you, both because we have to be holy and cannot be obsessed with unholy things, and because we're not supposed to waste money on obsessions, and because of the societal ills caused by addictions, because in order to support your addiction, it ends up leading to all sorts of societal problems. And that, by the way, is the number one reason why mind-altering drugs were originally made, uh, made illegal in most Western societies and other societies, not because they were so concerned about the individuals who were being harmed, but more so was leading to societal ills. In other words, people were stealing, um, living on the streets, um, committing other crimes in order to support their addictions. So, um, and the rebellious son is our example of that, um, of those addictions. And so therefore, anything that's going to lead to addiction, whatever addiction it is, whether it's a drug addiction, alcohol addiction, gambling addiction, gaming doesn't have to be expensive, but now they've found ways of making it expensive too. Um, any other form of addiction um, that can lead to um, that can lead to harm, that can lead to societal harm, um, that can lead to, that is financially costly, or even that's simply unholy, is problematic in Judaism. Um, Today there are other addictions that we sometimes just get addicted to social media. Um, It's unhealthy, it wastes our time, and maybe it doesn't cost us anything, Uh, maybe it doesn't harm society, maybe it does, Um, but it's also a problem. So in summary, let me just summarize. um, So in summary, any mind, the Judaism, Jewish sources do not directly address mind-altering drugs, at least recreational use of mind-altering drugs at all. Um, anything that's harmful to our bodies um, is forbidden, unless it's achieving some sort of greater good for us. So anything that's harmful in any way is forbidden. We should not be consuming anything that is harmful. Secondly, um, you cannot take a mind-altering drug that alters our mind to the point Um, that it limits our ability to think clearly um, and control our actions. And thirdly, any form of addiction is um, problematic because generally the Torah forbids addiction, um, both because it's unholy, financial harm, and because ultimately it leads to societal harm. So for all those reasons, addictions are also proscribed in Judaism. So there's no question that, as we mentioned earlier, that Judaism allows us to drink alcohol. Jews historically have always drunk alcohol. Um, It's important to point out that in earlier societies, alcohol drinking, um, it's important to point out alcohol drinking was, um, was a necessity because of the 
lack of availability of fresh water. Um, it was often hard to get or to store fresh water that was safe. And so for that reason, um, in Talmudic times, um, it's, they would mix all their water with wine, um, and they wouldn't drink plain water. It wasn't safe to drink plain water. So every time you had a glass of water, it had alcohol content in it. That's why beer was such a great invention, because it was much cheaper than wine and had much lower alcohol content, and it was something that you were able to store for long periods without, it getting, without any bacteria growing in it. So, um, so alcohol was very important historically. At the same time, we tried to avoid addiction to alcohol. Generally, there's little discussion. While there are warnings, we don't have descriptions of Jews having an alcohol problem. And we do have about the mid-19th century, we start hearing for the first time in Jewish sources about how there are Jews with alcohol problems. Before that, it doesn't seem to have been very common. Um, for Jews to have alcohol problems. Perhaps when drinking alcohol was more of kind of an everyday thing, alcoholism was less of a problem. Possibly, I don't know. But definitely alcohol, we were warned not to overdrink, not to be drunk. That's very clear. Um, alcohol was drunken in small amounts regularly. And definitely we drank wine for our seders, for Kiddush, for Havdalah, and for every important Jewish ceremony. That said, clearly, um, large amounts of alcohol that will make you drunk or that reg very regular alcohol drinking that is addictive would be a problem. The same way drug use, um, the, um, light drugs in, that are safe for us in small amounts, and you have to be careful over here because some light drugs, even if in theory they may be safe, are not yet well regulated. And so those that are not yet well-regulated, um, I think in Colorado they better regulate their marijuana than in California. California hasn't yet developed a system for proper regulation, although it's a field I'm not very familiar with. And so if they're not well-regulated, they may be unsafe. You've got to be careful. So, so long as you know that it's safe and in very small amounts, um, it would not be a problem. But in larger amounts that are either going to be mind-altering to the point that it's um, either harmful to your body, mind-altering to the point that you cannot think clear it, clearly or lead to addiction. Um, you have to be very careful, particularly marijuana. About 10% of people that do take marijuana um, uh, end up uh, in psychotic states, and it's very common. Um, and people have to be careful, especially if you haven't had it before. First time you take it, to do it very slowly. Um, you can ask a doctor for more details. Um, but it does, certain people, we don't know why, do become psychotic from it. And anything that's going to make you psychotic, even though it may not be dangerous, is definitely forbidden in Judaism. So what about other people that are taking drugs in a way that Judaism would not allow? Do you have to do anything about it? So not only do we not allow ourselves to harm, are we not allowed to harm ourselves, we also, Torah forbids us from allowing anyone to harm anyone else. In this week's Torah reading, we are told that if you see someone in danger, you have to save them. So you're not allowed to, don't stand by your brother's blood, is the famous words of the Torah. You're not allowed to stand by and watch somebody else suffer, watch somebody else in danger. If you see someone drowning, jump in and save them. You cannot stand by. You see somebody else in trouble, you, have, you cannot stand there, you must save them. Don't stand by. So, sorry? You are not required to risk your life to save someone, but if you do not need to risk your life, you are required to save someone. So... So the same would be true. So the same would be true if someone is causing themselves self-harm. Since in Ju Judaism we believe that a person has no right to harm themselves, you do not control your body. You got, your body is on loan to you by God, and you don't have the right to hurt yourself. And so therefore, if you see someone hurting themselves, you must do everything in your power to stop them. So you see someone about to jump, you must stop them, even though they want to. 
And even though they say they've thought about it for a very long time and they've made this decision, you have to stop them. A person is not allowed to harm themselves. You see someone doing something, you see someone about to get into, well, get into a car, they're going to harm someone else. Um, if, they're, um, if they're not in a state, they could drive. But if you see someone about to do something that will harm themselves, you must stop them. In the same way, if you see someone, whether it's um, smoking tobacco, which could be harmful, uh, or other drugs, you must stop them. Now, stopping them is with a caveat that you have to do it in a way that really stops them and not in a way that just makes them um, try to avoid you. Um, so, in other words, if you see someone who clearly has a problematic addiction to something unhealthy, the solution is to try to get them a long-term help not to scream at them or um, you know, pull it away from them. You're not going to solve anything. So if it's, a, if it's a short-term problem, short-term solution. But if it's a long-term problem, you need more of a long-term solution. But we do have a responsibility to stop other people from hurting themselves. So if you see somebody else, and unfortunately we all know people who are hurting themselves with recreational drugs, um, we, do, we all know people like that. You see somebody else, you have to do your best to try to get them to change, whether it's getting them into a program. Um, we work with a great organization on the west side um, that helps um, people um, in that kind of situation. Um, whatever it is, um, you, um, you have to try to... Uh, you have to try to stop them. You have to try to help them. We have an obligation to help people in trouble, even if they are trying to, even if what they're doing is self-harm. So, so what we've now discovered is that anything that is going to harm people, anything that is going to um, put you in a psychotic state or a state that you can no longer, that you have no control over yourself, or anything that is going to lead to addiction is definitely forbidden in Judaism. Any drug use that will, that is not harmful, not put you in a state where you lose control and not lead to addiction is not forbidden in Judaism. However, we do have another problem, which is that Jewish law has, we have a rule called Dina de Machuta Dina. The law of the land is the law. So Jewish law requires us to keep the laws of the land. So when you break the law, not only are you breaking the law, but you are also breaking the law of God. Any law, unless they're unreasonable laws, or unless they're laws that are counter to God's laws, those laws don't count, but any law that was reasonable, fair law that was made by, the, our, by our land, um, must be kept, and God expects you to keep it. So we are required to keep the local laws of any place where we live. So any drug use that is deemed illegal um, would therefore not be allowed under Jewish law. Now, yes? So before marijuana became legal, what about um, you know the whole use of medicinal marijuana, which someone is claiming is for their health? but it is against the local law. What are you supposed to do in that? Year? Again, we're not discussing medicinal use. Clearly, the, the clearly law. all laws are going, are going to be, there's going to be different rules when it comes to medicinal use, including the rule of the law of the land is the law. If the law it forbids you from helping yourself and you can help yourself, clearly, depending on the situation, that's why I don't want to discuss it, there may be, times when you can break the local laws in order to help yourself. But here we're talking about recreational use. You have no requirement. Jewish law does not require you to do so. Your health does not require you to do so. It is simply recreational. You are not allowed to break local laws. Judaism forbids you from doing so. Yeah. The law of the United States of America says marijuana right. is so, illegal. So we're in a now, very complicated today, situation right now. It's not legal. So we're in a very complicated situation. Then you got it from the lawyer. Um, and, uh, and we're in a very complicated situation. The I'll, I'll, I'll just give it quickly. The United States first pro prohibited 
um, most mind-altering drugs in what was called the Harrison Act in 1914, um, which, by the way, the federal government doesn't have the ability to forbid use of anything constitutionally. They're only allowed to regulate commerce, but of course we find legal workarounds for everything. So what they did is they required, the Harrison Act requires licenses to sell any opiates or cocoa-based drugs, um, and then the federal government does not issue those licenses, which deems it illegal. Any commerce in any of these drugs are illegal. However, non-commerce, the federal government cannot actually control. The federal government only controls commerce. So um, marijuana was actually banned in a very similar way, way what was called the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. In 1970 is the law we're looking at right now. And right. Then and later... One of the dangerous drugs, yes. heroin, opium, and marijuana, and cocaine, all in the same group. Later, the United States signed three international treaties over the years. The last one was the 1971 um, International Treaty. We're, we're currently under treaty... We're currently under treaty, um, and um, some, I, I have to mention this, although it's a little off topic. There, there, we had an uh, event on the subject, um, some of you were there, um, where um, there's actually evidence that he believed that Jews were all in the drug trade, and because he was an anti-Semite, that was part of the reason why he decided why he was so against drugs. There's a recording of Nixon saying we've got to get rid of these drugs because all the Jews are trading drugs. And he was, we know he's a known anti-Semite. So then he had Henry Kissinger as his main guy, yes. who was Jewish. Uh, Nixon also funded a research project in, on an island. I don't remember which island. I've read the actual research project where he sent researchers, they smoked marijuana almost consistently and, and chewed cocoa leaves and everything. Anyway, they, ran, they did the research and they found that it did not change fertility, change work pro productivity, change intelligence, or change the birth. I'm not going to comment. Um, you know what, when it, comes to, when it comes to drug use, there are a lot of very strong views on both sides, and a lot of information that you hear um, is often not in, not accurate. There's a lot of in, there's a lot of information out there, like any other issue that is very very hotly debated. Uh, there's a lot of what today is called fake news. So you just you have to be careful with information. So the United States later signed um, three um, international treaties, the most recent one, 1971, that prohibit the sale of a very, very long list of mind-altering drugs. We have five different what's called um, um, we have five we have five different schedules. Some drugs that cannot be used medicinally, or they cannot be used at all. Some just for research. Some that can be used medicinally. We have different schedules of drugs. Um, today, the federal law enforces what's called the Convention on um, Psychotropic Substances, um, which is both a treaty and a federal law. Um, even if we were, we were to change the federal law, it still wouldn't get us out of the treaty until we pull out of that treaty. So um, right now, federal law prohibits at least commerce in any form of um, illegal drugs. Our state has made it legal um, starting January 1st of this year. Um, both commerce and use and possession um, of, um, of drugs. What happens when two sets of law disagree? Um, what would Judaism say? Do you state and federal law disagree? What is the law of the land? I don't know. If the lawyer says it's illegal, then Jewish law would say you would not be allowed to do something illegal. Um, the federal government also no longer prosecutes marijuana cases. Um, ready for a number of years. Um, so if it's inde indeed illegal, we'd be prescribed from um, trading in it. Um, it may not be illegal to actually use it, and so therefore we wouldn't be prescribed from using it, uh, provided that it doesn't cause all the other harms um, that we've mentioned that definitely would be forbidden under Jewish law. Yes? I mean, right now, anyone who's in the marijuana business in California has to, everything's cash. It's the illegal banks, federally. The commerce. You can't have credit cards. Right, but that's commerce. But the federal government can't, doesn't make use illegal. The buying it is illegal, but not the actual use of it. I have a question. That's true. Maybe we'll answer it later. The whole thing about my. In 1978, okay. 
in Judaism, I, I don't understand. I think it's like um, if you live your life, you get high on life. I'm going to get to that. Very good point. As Excellent point. To some, something outside the body to change it. I'm going to touch on it in a second. We're going to touch on it in a second. Any other questions before we go further? Uh, yes, I sir. I want to know what, what was the practice during prohibition? That's a very good question. What was the practice during prohibition? Not directly relevant, but I'm going to touch it anyway. Um, the prohibition allowed for sacramental use. So we Jews got really lucky because we had sacramental use of wine, and many Jews got into the wine business and were selling and buying wine for sacramental use, and it became a great... Jews were always in the wine business uh, and in the alcohol business. It's been a Jewish business for thousands of years. We know that. We've dominated the business in every place we've lived forever, and we still do. Uh, but... Um, but definitely we were um, the, of the bootleggers we had the sacramental and so did the Catholics um, exception and so we were really good at getting around there's also a medical exception doctors can write prescriptions for alcohol? oh I didn't know that I have a prescription oh really so we take drugs why do people take drugs? why do people take stimulants? So we do it to alter our moods, to feel good about ourselves. It's a good experience. It's relaxing. Um, it makes you feel really good. In the 19, late 1960s, there was what was called, some of you may remember this, there was a counterculture counter um, that very much included the use of mind-altering drugs. Um, there's quite a, quite a bit of evidence today that a lot of that counterculture was funded by drug cartels, um, with the um, intention of getting, um, of spreading drug use in the United States and increasing their income. But there was this counterculture, and the Rebbe was asked about drug use. Is there any prohibition in Judaism to use drugs, uh, mind-altering drugs? And the Rebbe's response was as follows. We use mind-altering things in order to alter our moods to feel good about ourselves. We want to feel good about things. And now we don't only use mind-altering drugs. A lot of people, mind-altering drugs, generally, and even alcohol today, don't have, are not so accepted in society. So today we use a lot of other stimulants. There's a lot of legal stimulants that we use to feel good about ourselves. Some common ones. People exercise, over-exercise, not for not the amount needed to keep themselves healthy and make their doctor happy, but people over-exercise, run triathlons to feel good about themselves. Um, not that you shouldn't be doing it, but people do and get obsessed with it. Some people become health-obsessed, obsessed with their food intake, and it's a form of feeling good about themselves. People that become obsessed with sports, with technology, with cars, with all sorts of other things, with music. People become very, very obsessed with many different things, with golf, in order to feel, and it's an escape, like mind-altering drugs, it's an escape, it's a way of altering our moods, it's a way, people also travel is another big one. Um, it's travel, shopping, right? It's Shopping too, yes, thank you. There's a lot of these stimulants. They're ways, social media. They're ways that people feel good about themselves. Some of these things have harm. Shopping, they just ruin our bank accounts. Um, some of them, or um, over-exercise, some of them have no harm whatsoever. Um, they, they may be very non-harmful. They're just time wasters or energy and focus wasters. There's all sorts of things we do, not a once in a while hobby, not a kind of side hobby, but things that we get obsessed with, things that we do because they become our escape, our way of finding something else, altering our moods, feeling good about ourselves. We mentioned earlier, the Torah says, Kedoshim Tihiyu, a Jew is required to be holy, which includes the prohibition of obsession about un over unholy things. Not bad things, things that are not holy. We should not be obsessed with anything non-holy. A Jew should be obsessed with holiness. Everyone needs an escape. 
Everyone needs something that stimulates them, that makes them feel good. But there's another way to feel good. In Psalms, it says, Ta'amu uru'u kitov Hashem. Taste and you will see that God is good. Taste and you will see that the Torah has all the stimulants that you need, all the escape that you need, the obsession to feel good. Taste it, try it, you will see that it is good. Or I think as the saying goes, try it, develop a taste, right? And so some things you have to develop a taste for, whether it's cars, whether it's politics, whether it's sports, whether it's running. A few people who became obsessed with running told me the first few times it was very difficult. And then they became a two-hour-a-day thing. They start running two hours a day till their knees give out and their body can't do it anymore. So whatever obsession it may be, Usually, it doesn't start with that. You start, you have to develop a taste um, for it. But with time, even smoking, tobacco, um, for those who have tried it, I haven't. Um, you have to develop a taste for it. Or alcohol, you've got to develop a taste. So with everything, you try it a few times. And with time, you'll discover it's a stimulant. Torah provides our stimulant. Judaism, God, provides a stimulant. Try it, you will see that it is good. What are the stimulants that Judaism provides? Firstly, study. The best thing you could do, the greatest stimulant is studying. This is not only studying Judaism. And I know people that are obsessed with studying. It is the best obsession you could possibly have. I personally have it. It is the best, it is the best addiction you can ever have. An addiction to books, an addiction to study, an obsession with collecting books, with reading books, with studying. It is the best obsession you can have. Encourage your family, your children, your friends to be obsessed with studying. You, there is no better obsession with knowledge. There is no better obsession. There is no better escape that you can have. If you can, um, if you can develop a taste for study, for learning, there is no better addiction that you can ever give yourself. Don't, no need for any other stimulant. Leave the shopping alone, the cars alone, the running alone. Run enough to keep yourself healthy, of course. Leave all those stimulants alone, the traveling. Travel for vacation, that's great, but the over-traveling. Leave all those stimulants alone. Develop an obsession for study. It's the best thing. People have told me they come to the Sunday morning class. They can't, their Sunday's not the same without it. That's great. It should be the stimulant. And give yourself, go to classes or study on your own. It should be a stimulant that you cannot manage without it. It's a great thing. And yes, we can develop an obsession for studying. And nobody ever regretted it. Nobody ever said, I wish I didn't waste my time learning all that much. Another great obsession that... Another great obsession, this one may be a little bit harder to develop, another great stimulant is prayer. Prayer is a very important stimulant. Prayer is a way, often we spend our time, our lives, we are social creatures, and we spend our lives with other people, and we're always trying to impress other people and talk to other people and communicate with other people. But sometimes we have to just talk to ourselves. We believe that God is our deeper selves. God is this deeper self of this entire world. Prayer is a time when we sit and talk to ourselves and we express ourselves. And it's a very, very powerful thing. And throughout Jewish history, we had Jews that were obsessed with prayer that would sit for hours and pray. It was a very normal thing. People that would spend time in prayer. People that would sit for hours and talk to themselves. It's a great thing. Um, today's site isn't like when you talk to yourself. It's a very good thing. Spend time talking to yourselves. We built a structure for it. It's a lot easier to do it in a structure than without a structure. So we have a structure with a prayer book and with synagogue. But come to shul, read the prayer book, talk to God, talk to yourself. It's a great thing. You develop a love for it. You develop a stimulant. It's a great stimulant. It's something you'll look forward to. Um, another beautiful thing that we have in Judaism, of course, are our many commandments. Um, just to focus on two in particular that are excellent stimulants. One is Shabbat. 
or Shabbos. Shabbos, doing it is very, very hard. Cutting out everything entirely, focusing on your family, on yourself, on study and prayer, it goes along with the other stimulants, are difficult, very hard to start with. It's very hard to cut out. But it's the best thing you could possibly do for yourself. It's the best, it's a, it's a great stimulant. You start looking forward to it. Once you start doing it, it's something you're going to start looking forward to. You're always going to want it. It's a way to cut out. It's a mood-altering thing. It's a way to change your mood, a way to feel good about yourself without having to actually do anything. Just cut yourself out. Let loose once a week. It's the best thing you could do. Cut loose of everything. Cut loose of any electronics, cut loose of the car, cut loose of everything, and just cut down, focus on praying, studying, family, eating, that's it, cut loose of everything else. And then a final stimulant, and perhaps the greatest stimulant of all, and um, many of you have already tasted this stimulant, and this is something that once you develop a taste for, it's very hard to let go of, and that is helping others. There is nothing like helping others. And you help people, whether it's through volunteering, whether it's through, um, whether it's through giving, there is no stimulant. The most powerful, the best feeling you'll ever get in your life is when you help people. You keep helping people. The more you help people, the better that feeling gets and the more obsessed you'll get with it. And you, it's, it's a great taste to develop rather than needing other mind-altering things or other um, stimulants to um, make you feel better about yourself, the best thing you could do for yourself, teach yourself or get yourself to love helping others, to step out there and help others. Somebody, um, um, somebody was telling me that um, this yes, just yesterday I was talking to him, he said... Um, he doesn't like Yom Kippur over here in the synagogue. He doesn't know if he's going to come here because um, there's too many people here. It's too big, too many distractions. So he likes a nice, quiet place where he could focus. So I said, you know what? That's your choice. Um, fine. You want to find a nice, small, tiny little shtibel, small synagogue where you can focus. Great. But um, try this. You have all these people around you over here. And a lot of them are here for the first time. They don't know. Or they, don't, they don't go to synagogue maybe just once a year. They're not really clear with what's going on. They're very uncomfortable here. Turn around. Turn to them. And Because um, he asked me, he asked me, how do you do it? Because I work on Yom Kippur. I'm, you know, I help people hold Yom Kippur. I'm the, only Jew, I'm the only Jew that works Yom Kippur. So, um, so, and I said, you know, he said, do you not miss being able to silently pray I said, not really, because I do something much better. I'm helping people, a whole young people. I said, try this. I said, turn around to the people around you. Try to help them. Try to you know, help them out. Introduce yourself just quietly without disturbing too much. Um, make them feel welcome. Make them feel comfortable. You'll feel so good about yourself, better than you ever felt Yom Kippur before. It will be the most powerful Yom Kippur you ever felt. He said he's going to try it. <laughs> Find out after Yom Kippur what actually happens. But the best feeling you can have and the best thing you could ever do is helping people. So rather than turning to other stimulants and we always like to do it, the best thing you can do is God has provided us the best possible stimulants if we only use it. So thank you again.